Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Murgy, and this is Not That Kind of Rabbi. As I clarify on every episode, I'm not a rabbi, but if I was, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. Today, I want to talk a little bit before I introduce my guest. I'm very excited to speak to her, but I, I, I really feel there's this word, this... It's become a four-letter word, even though it's a three-letter word. So I wanted to just talk a bit about it. The four-letter, three-letter word is God. That if you say to somebody, I believe in God, first of all, every person would have a different definition of what they just said. But the other part is what a lot of people hear is, I'm nuts. They don't hear I believe in God. They think, oh, you believe in fairy tales, as I was told by Richard Dawkins who uh, famously has been writing for years about religion being just ridiculous. Uh, I was invited years ago uh, when his first book came out uh, to a dinner that the publisher was throwing. There's about 14 of us there, but I was sitting beside him and he was, you know, banging on about how stupid it all is and how science is truth and faith is not. And I said, well, you know, I... uh, I happen to believe uh, that, uh, you know, mystery is important in a person's life. It's not all answerable, and nor should it be. And he, he said, are you religious? And uh, I said, I'm a pro- I guess you could call me religiously progressive, and yes. He said, well, that's ridiculous. And I, I thought, if on no other level than pure humanity and sensitivity, I think you just failed a spiritual test because you may actually feel that I'm ridiculous, but you probably shouldn't be sharing it with me because we don't really know each other. If you've had more than ample proof after many years of trying to be my friend that I'm ridiculous, knock yourself out. But at dinner, halfway through the second course, I would probably withhold that kind of a judgment. So I I really wasn't crazy about it. But the thing is, Think to yourself, if, first of all, when you look at Pew Research polls and things like that, it's amazing how many people say they believe in God. And yet, in public discourse, at dinner parties, or anywhere else, it's like, who voted for that guy? I didn't. Well, somebody did. Um, So it gets kind of weird. So I figured uh, I should probably lay my God card on the table And that when I talk about God, there's a book by a rabbi called David Cooper, and it's called uh, God is a Verb. And it's pretty deep about Jewish mysticism as a a path. And there's lots of pieces of it I really enjoy and meditation and all kinds of lovely things. Um, But in there, what he's really saying is, for most people, God is a noun. It's a thing. It's a guy with a beard on a chair with a naughty and nice list. So like... You know where I'm going with this. This is Santa Claus. And a lot of us really leave religion at the pediatric stage. We're told a bunch of miracle stories about people with supernatural lives. And by the time you become an adolescent, you just go, are you nuts? That's ridiculous. What do you mean the guy lived in 900? That's just nuts. So I take it as metaphor, not as literal. I'm not looking at, at... at Old and New Testaments and the Quran and as you know, perfectly accurate historical documents. Uh, there are many people who do. They're literalists and God love them. But my God's ver- a verb. It's an actual action that we're a part of, a very small cellular part of a very large, constantly creative, pulsing reality. It, a star explodes. The energy of that star pushes neighboring gases together to create a new star and then that lives and then it dies it's the same thing that makes us want to have kids it's the same thing that makes us want to make music it's the same thing that just keeps us wanting to be creative as people so i see it as we're just a really micro cell in a world of 500 million galaxies imagine can you even imagine what i what i just said 500 million galaxies not stars because there are millions of stars in every galaxy. So we're talking about, as Carl Sagan used to say, billions and billions of stars. Um, so we're just a micro cell in the body of that flow of energy that I call God. And our job is to decide whether or not on any given day we're going to be a healthy cell 
or a cancerous cell. And that to me is more than enough work because on any given day, I'm both. You know, at 9.15 in the morning on a, on a Sunday, I'm making French toast for the kids and I'm feeling like, you know, you are just one hell of a dad, one hell of a dad. And then an hour and a half later, they've driven me nuts and I'm being sarcastic and uh, I'm grumpy and walking into another room and thinking, you suck as a dad. Like, you seriously suck. Like, you've been doing this for 30 years and you're still really bad at it. So our job is to try to move ourselves from that cancerous idea to that healthy idea. So that, in case you're wondering, and you probably weren't, where does this guy come from in that kind of rabbi? That's the kind of rabbi that I am. So that's my little rant for now. Uh, By the way, anybody who's been listening, I really appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell them to subscribe. Go to your nearest podcatcher and you will find Not That Kind of Rabbi and uh, we'll we'll build a community together because I, I want your input too. And you can input by going to at Ralph Ben Murgy, or you can just do ralphbenmurgy at gmail.com. And if you hear something on the show, tell me what you think about it and uh, we'll just keep growing this entity in the creative pulse of everything. That said, Davnet Doyle is my guest and Davnet uh, and I have never spoken. No. Never. Uh, well, I'm so happy to be here today, and I'm fascinated by everything that you just said, and I have so many thoughts about it. Hit me. Well, I've been really ruminating on this thought for years and years and years. I mean, we're really living in an era where it's there's a mental health crisis mm-hmm. happening in every walk of life. doesn't matter where your socioeconomic situation is. I mean, it has permeated our entire culture. And I've just been asking myself why. And, you know, there are so many answers to it. But a big theme that keeps coming back to me as somebody who's from Newfoundland and I grew up down the street, raised Roman Catholic, but I grew up down the street from the Mount Cashel Orphanage, which was one of the first incidences where Catholic priests were, you know, uh, uh, uncovered that they had been abusing children. So that was such a huge scar on people who had been raised Catholic and and people in Newfoundland and and to just drive by that orphanage, which is now a grocery store. And that was the moment in me where I realized I couldn't rely on religion as I had known it. Right. So that created a fault line in, in my life. So... What I, as an adult, I'm 44 now, so since I've been 19 years old, I've been finding these same communities on my own, whether it's yoga, whether it's therapy, whether it's meditation, whether it's getting together and sharing that energy, that I realize while visiting Nashville, you know, driving by churches and people are so exuberant about going to worship somewhere together that I was jealous. I was jealous that that was taken from me. And really, you know, what I find in meditation and in yoga is that is the sense of community and it's the energy coming together. It's that collective energy that has been stolen from us, that's been stolen from us with technology. And really that, that is, you know, people who are missing religion from their lives, unless they're going out there doing that work to find that community elsewhere and that shared energy and being a part. I remember my first yoga class going, I feel like I'm a part of a group doing something that the entire group is doing. And it's taken all of these questions out of my head about what I should be doing. Sometimes it's really nice to be led. And that is that void that that religion organized religion not having that in my life it has been a huge void that is so well put so many different aspects to that you know i remember when mount cashel broke as a journalist Mm. at the time that i i heard a story uh, from uh, a young man the one thing you didn't want anyone to know is that you were a cashel boy Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. then other guys would drive by in cars and uh, yell fag at you Mm -hmm. Uh, which only made it 10 times worse Mm -hmm. than it already was. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the confusion in a a province where almost everyone was Catholic or Catholic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and I, remember I was friends with Greg Malone, mm -hmm. Tommy Sexton. Of course. You know, uh, I, I'd met Rick Mercer. He was a young guy at the time. We had mm -hmm. him on. I, I did the show called Midday, and he, we, we had him on mm -hmm. uh, because we had been told he could do extemporaneously a, a rant. A rant. We, really? So, yeah, he can do like two solid minutes mm -hmm. and not, not look down at a note. It was like, well, let's have him on. So I went to visit with him, and he showed me a film he'd been making. And the film was about um, his deep hatred for the, for, for the clergy. For the, you know, it, it made fun of all of it. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I always regretted this. I said, it's a bit bald. Like, it's kind of right on the nose. Yeah. Like, nothing subtle. And he looked at me like, what do you mean? And I realized, no, this is such a deep wound. Mm -hmm. That these, you know, Tommy, him, Greg... Mm -hmm. The Walsh's, everybody had to get it out of their system. Yes. And you had to do that too. Mm -hmm. you, you ha and you lost something, but for some people it's lost and never look back. What mm -hmm. made you want to look back and go? Well, because I knew I was missing something. And my grandmother just turned 100 years old. And Muzzle tov, as we say. Uh, yeah, thank you so <laughs> much. Um, and she, she still to this day relies on her faith through things that only heroin and crack could heal in some people. Right. I mean, it is, it is, it is profound. I, I'm jealous that I don't have that blind faith in something. So I have been investigating it, and my kids now who are six and seven, you know, uh, Mommy, I want to go to church. And I'm like, really? You do? And they'd heard about it at school. It's not a Catholic school. And I said, okay, well, I'll take you to church. And it was one of the first times I'd been there that wasn't for a wedding or a funeral. How did I, you feel? You know what? I felt like I wanted to go back. Oh. But I didn't. Why didn't you? Because I didn't, you know, I felt like I wanted to go back in that moment. But then it was familiar. really, it's, it was familiar and it was a nice, it was like getting, you know, soup and a bun, you right. know, that your grandparent would make. So it's, I mean, it's not. So what do you do with that yearning that your kids have? How do you help them? Because they yearn yes. to be to have, be part of something bigger than themselves. It's it's funny because I have talked about this with my therapist, and because I want my kids to have a sense of spirituality and a sense that there is something bigger than all of us taking care of things. Because I don't, I want to ease their anxiety. I want to ease their worry. I don't necessarily think it's going to come from going to church, but it has provoked something in me to. Uh, really get uh, the reason why I'm going through this whole thought process is so that I can filter it out for my kids. Right. So I haven't figured it out yet. It's a tough one if you uh, don't have. But there was a thing you said about your grandmother, which was blind faith. Mm -hmm. And often when I talk to people who are in the faith business, they mm -hmm. that's a trigger for them. Where mm -hmm. They go, "You're you're making an assumption that I'm not unquestioning." Mm -hmm. And I and the clergy that I. Mm -hmm. interact with deeply question all the time mm -hmm. and feel themselves closer to their faith and further away from their faith absolutely on any given day mm -hmm. i mean it's it's an ocean tide it comes yes. in it comes out mm -hmm. so i don't know about the blind part. but not for my grandmother my grandmother has been through so much and i'm telling you right now that religion and church she has a blind like she she has a a deep abiding blind faith to it as a follower and i too have relationship my my father actually was about to be ordained as a priest the oldest son of a newfoundland uh woman who had many 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 children and she went off to ireland he went off to ireland to study to be a priest he was about to be ordained as a priest when he met my mother wow and so then in well, ireland in ireland and so then, of course, then they, you know, my father did not enter the priesthood. And then my mother, coming from an Irish family, then, you know, that that was a, quite an escandalito. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my father went on and did his doctorate in, in religious studies. And, and But then when I went to high school, he gave me a note. At that point, you needed a note to get out of religion. And he used to teach religion at the high school I went to. And he gave me a note to get out of it. Why did you want to get out of it? Um, because I could do musical theater instead. Ah. It, w it was just one of those. Did he those take things. you to church? Uh, I grew up going to church, but then around when Mal Cashel was discovered, we, that was we that. stopped. 
kind of it's broke not, a lot of people's hearts. It 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 and it still is heartbreaking. I have a a friend of mine, uh, Gemma Hickey, who is an amazing advocate in in Newfoundland and one of the first, maybe if not the first, to have a genderless uh, pronoun on her on on their mm-hmm. passport. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and they were abused by a priest as right. a young child, and that the wounds that they have. Um, as a result of that, are are never ending. So there was a guy who ran a rather major yoga endeavor mm-hmm. who, who's yes. kind of embusted. Yeah. Is it really about the religion or is it about the inability to hold power in mm-hmm. one's hand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I, I wonder. I, I That's a great question. I would, I would say probably the inability to hold the power and... You know, I mean, mm-hmm. in the music business, you'll see someone really getting mm-hmm. it up there. Oh, yeah. And there just is this period of time where, you know, the shit don't stink. Like Absolutely. The, it, it's all a home run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything is handed to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know too many people who, who, who do well with that. No, no. So a priest who's supposed yes. to be the holy Absolutely. light of everything. Yes, Absolutely. I'm not excusing them. I'm just saying it happens in politics. It happens in business. Look, it happens in sports. It happens everywhere. This right? could be the exact, we could be having this conversation about the Me Too movement. Yeah. I think that's why it's the, when Me Too happened, it brought so much up in so many people. Sure. Because on the one side for the women, um, I know for every single person, I've been in the music industry for 25 years. So <laughs> the stories are like yeah. endless. Yeah. Um, and that goes for every single person that I know. Every, every woman I every know. Every single yeah. woman that I know, yeah. this is a deep wound that wasn't supposed to be a wound. Yeah. You know, so there's so many layers to it. But then on the other side, there's all these uh, people who have been acting in a way, you know, uh, with, you know, except for, you know, obviously the Harvey Weinsteins of the world. But there were men out there who were acting in a, in a way that was inappropriate, but they had absolutely no idea. Society, there was no, nobody in society telling you that's wrong. Um, so then there's the male side of it too, yeah. um, that you guys are overcoming deep wounds about what you were told, what, you know, as, as a little girl, I was told, I was raised to grow up, be polite, make sure people like you. You know, little boys are, are taught to grow up. Don't cry. Do not be vulnerable. You know, which yeah. is equally... You know, those are both wounds, equal wounds. You know, it's interesting when you think about it in terms of what makes a person decide to get up and sing, Mm -hmm. to get up and make music. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's church. Mm -hmm. That's spiritual. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, People seem to think that it's not a spiritual experience to be sitting there in a 16,000 seat theater with U2. Mm Mm-hmm you know, and waving your arm back and forth to still have mm-hmm. found, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. It is. And we, so do you think, your, how did your music evolve in terms of the spiritual path that you've had? I think it has evolved in that way where uh, when I began, I was so young, I was 17, 18, and of course I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I was just making it up as I went along. Um, so when you're in that position, you are so open to outside influences, Mm. what people want you to do, what's on the charts right now. This is what you should do. You should work with this person. This person just work with that person and she's amazing. That's who you want to be like, or have you heard this song? Uh, It's all these subtle undercurrents that are taking you away from your intuition, taking you away from who you are. And for me, that also coincided with, uh, the beginning of, of drinking, um, socially at, you know, in any, th- any time I went to a CD release party or anything mm. to make myself comfortable. Cause I'm quite an introvert and that kind of turned me, I was like, Oh, I can actually be sociable with people. I'm just meeting and feel comfortable and not feel like I want to run into the bathroom and hide, <laughs> you know? And I do know. <laughs> woo! And, uh, and so for me then as that went along, the drinking then dulled my intuition And I stopped listening to myself and I've been, you know, it's been almost a year and a half since I uh, decided to just stop drinking. 
And it's been an amazing discovery for me in that year and a half to actually figure out what I actually like. So what have you found? What have you found? Um, I'm definitely an introvert. I I thought I was before and then I had 20 (laughs) years. I was like, you know, I'm the life of the party a little bit. And I was like, I am definitely an introvert. And I like what I like. I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm very, so it's even before I quit drinking, you know, I've had years of doing hardcore yoga and years of therapy and all of these things, um, to point the arrows inward to, to, to have some self-discovery and some discussion about what I want without thinking about what anybody else wants. So really I just made a solo record, uh, came out about a year ago and it really is a very depressing piece of work this entire album but i love it it was what i was feeling at the time you know, I, that's a hell of a marketing ploy i like i that look i am <laughs> all about oil i am a hard you know what <laughs> i am the worst salesperson and marketing person and i think once you give up go like you know what yeah I, but you know it's interesting because the other Davinette Doyle yeah. was wanting to make other people happy. Exactly, yes. This Davinette Doyle is saying, this is my journey. Yes, absolutely. And most of us in the performance world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I I started in comedy, and mm-hmm. I remember the first time as a journalist, I didn't have to be funny yes. when I spoke to a group of people, mm-hmm. and how liberating yes. and fabulous that was to just go, hey, I, I mean, I will yeah. say something funny eventually because yes, it's yeah. already <laughs> built into me now. Yes. But that's not why I, I'm actually willing to talk. It's like doing this podcast. Yes. I'm willing to talk to people about stuff that most people don't bring up. Yes, right? absolutely. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. So now you're more you. I am very, very much me. And I, I, I'm I'm a little crusty. I was on a conference call yesterday at the end of it. I said, <laughs> I'm, and there were safe people on there. And I I'm on a couple of boards and I was like, I am so sorry that I was crusty today, but you know, that's, that's just that's, who I am today so who, right now. So the, the Davinette Doyle who emerged in the hot Celtic scene. Yes. Yeah. Who was that? Um, that was me at, you know, 18, 19, 20, trying to figure out who I was in the moment. And, it pro- and you know, if I go back and listen to those records and, you know, that's who I was in, in, in those moments. Mm. And, and part of who I was, was trying to make everybody happy. Right. And that's, that's part of my journey. And that, cause I, I no longer spend any time trying to make people happy unless you're my kids and my husband and right. my immediate family. And I'm nice and courteous and thoughtful to everybody. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not one of the but other. But it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not like I'm nice or I'm a horrible yes. person. Um, but I'm not going to sacrifice. Total. My, yes. It's a holistic yes. thing, right? Yes. So. Talk a little bit about the kind of music that you started with and it mm-hmm. has evolved yeah. with you. What did it do for you to play that kind of music? Because I, I remember I'm, I'm a Moroccan Jew. Yeah. And I'm listening to Celtic music, you know, when you started. Yeah. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved it. It was yeah. just like, this speaks to me. Yeah. What is it about that music? I, you know what, I wasn't raised with music in my kitchen. And right. I was always wanted every time I go to Cape Breton I'm like can I li- can I move here can I can I be from here this is amazing and a lot of Newfoundlanders had that in their kitchen I know Alan Doyle grew up with that in his kitchen yeah. but I didn't um and so it was all a discovery for me as it was happening you know my music was a bit more pop than Celtic mm-hmm. um so when I came out and got to go to the East Coast Music Awards and stuff I got I was discovering that music Oh. Really, at the same time, even with an Irish parent, even with an Irish parent, my mother was the Irish parent too. When my parents got divorced and they were living in Labrador, she would go with her best friend, Ray Condon, God rest his soul, and they would go to New York City and they would go see musicals. And my mom would bring back the cassette tapes of musicals. Right. So I actually grew up on Big River and you know whatever musical was out thirty five years ago. Right. That's what she would play in the kitchen Saturdays doing dishes. And then on the flip side, my dad listened to a lot of Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson and Johnny Cash. So that's what I grew up. So, but Irish music, no country music and musicals. So it's what other people were doing around you. And you just wanted to get into that flow because that's what was going on. That's what was hardcore going on in that scene. Oh yeah. That was like, that was a wave. Love Willie Nelson's redheaded stranger. Oh, great album. Redheaded strain. Yeah. So yeah. good. 
Don't boss him, don't cross him. He's wild in his sorrow. I love that. I love. He's riding and hiding his pain. Look at you go. Don't fight him. Don't spite him. Just wait till tomorrow. Maybe he'll ride on again. I'm. Love I'm not that. even going to jump in on. That's, that's so good. I was, wow, I'm going to mess that red, up. I love redheaded stranger. That I, was at University of Alberta in the mid '70s when that came out, and it was just like I've been listening to Les mm-hmm. McCann and Eddie Harris doing uh, uh, Swiss time and jazz. Like, yeah. Ooh, Compared to what and songs like that, Salt Peanuts, and then I put mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Willie Nelson. I mean, that's the thing about music, right? Yes. Like it's. N- I, I really mm-hmm. drives me nuts when yeah. people try to say they do one thing. It's yeah, like, why yeah. would you want to? Ex- and if you listened, if you just isolated Willie's acoustic guitar track on that entire record, yes, that's jazz music. Yes, you know he crosses so many. Ba- when I was in a band called Shea with Kim Stockwood and Tara McLean, we got the opportunity to open up for him for two oh, weeks on the road. Wow, what was that like? It was incredible. So every night, uh, he invited us on stage to sing May the Circle, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, and I'll Fly Away. Wow. Every night. It was incredible. And in fact, we went to see him. It had been 10 years. Kim and I went to see him at the amphitheater in the summer. And, and uh, so we met up with Annie, his wife, who's incredible. And she said to Willie, get the girls up to sing with... So we were standing side stage and she pushed us on stage oh and it was just really incredible. What's he like? I, I've never oh, met he's, him. He's lovely. Yeah. He's just a lovely guy. Always struck me as a spiritual singer. He very... And, and a, a spiritual person. He travels with his family, with his sister. Oh, you know, yeah. that's Sister Bobby, who's I think older than he is. Wow. And he he has a sense of community. And he you know, has a ritual that works for him with cannabis. And he, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, It was really, really, he treated us incredibly, incredibly well. And as you well know, when you're either opening or backing up someone, you can be treated pretty badly. Oh, I mean, we, we remained, you know, friends with a lot of those people on that tour for, so there's the word yeah. though, eh? community, community, energy, so shared that was, energy. That's your yearning. Yes, it is. It is, yeah. especially as you know, as a freelancer. Essentially, I'm a freelancer. Right. You know, I've been in a couple of different bands, but essentially, it's me for 25 years creating my own work by myself. Even with it's essentially, it, I'm I'm yeah. at the core of it, um, and I like to. So how do you connect? I, I, when you're home alone, exactly. Right. How, how do you, um, I mean, you talked about yoga mm-hmm. and that you felt like, Oh, a community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see for people who, who have a spiritual life, but mm-hmm. don't have a religious life? What's mm-hmm. their fitness program is what I always ask. What's the spiritual fitness program? My spiritual fitness program. I would say the number one thing is checking in on my intuition every day to see, because I'm, I'm such what does that mean, intuition, uh, to you? Okay, so I'm a everybody. reformed, I'm a reformed people pleaser. So if you email me and ask me to, to do something for yeah. you, that's, I'm going to say yes because I also have a bit of a martyr complex. My therapist told me, you know, so I'm going to say yes because not only do I genuinely want to help you, because it's going to make me feel good and it's going to make you feel good, I want to be the problem solver. Right. But then, without even thinking about what you've asked me to do, I've already gone ahead and said yes. But it's created then a whole host of problems right. for me over here because I didn't think through the trickle down. I didn't think, I just went to that immediate gratification of being the problem solver. Right. So now, with everything, with everything that comes at me, instead of automatically processing and saying yes... I'm, I'm thinking things through. I'm listening to my gut. I'm like, do I, I'm sitting with things. I am, instead of reacting, I'm responding. Okay. But that's, for me, that's a psychosocial answer. Okay. What's the spiritual answer in terms of, for some people, intuition is a connecting cable Mm -hmm. to something else. Yeah. And for other people, it's just your gut. Mm -hmm. Where's the spiritual compass and what do you do what's your workout routine is it to be do yoga three times a week to meditate every day well i try and meditate every day in the morning but that's hard sometimes with two young kids very hard um but i know how much happier i feel every day that i do it 
I try to do yoga three or four times a week. And I connect with my community, which is my family and my friends. And I, I just, just to wrap up the intuition piece, I actually, it is, it, it is, um, it's a visceral reaction that I was ignoring. It is a gut thing. It is, right. it is something where it would happen. You'd ignore it. You'd make a head decision. We'd move. Yes. On. I am always making the decision from my gut, just right. from my instinct, from my feeling. And that has created so much joy in my life. Could you connect to your gut on alcohol? Um, no. Hmm. Do you think people can? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in higher uh, spiritual practices, the idea is to not cloud the mind. Yes. No, but I don't think everybody has the same end game that I have. What's your end game? Uh, which is to live a higher spiritual life. Right. And for me, the quitting drinking was one component of a whole wellness plan I didn't even realize I was starting. So I, I had suffered incredibly from anxiety and depression, and the anxiety was getting a lot worse. And I knew I had to, to move pieces around and my health was good so the first thing for me uh was therapy well obviously I've been doing yoga for 25 years that w helped um and then the alcohol piece was after I'd really gotten physically very well feeling very well but there was still that component that was giving me anxiety and it got to the point where if I'd have a couple of drinks the next day I'd have an incredible amount of anxiety mm. and I just thought oh my god I have anxiety I have depression the last thing I would have given up was, you know, I really subscribe to that whole like, oh, mommy drinks because you cry or mommy needs a glass of wine or it's mommy time, which is heavily branded and marketed towards um, mothers as a release for, you know, I, I had this situation where we, my husband and I really wanted kids. We were told it was a one in a million chance that it was going to happen naturally. It was not going to happen for us. And then it was a miracle. We, after a couple of years, it was a miracle. We adopted our daughter. We were in the hospital two minutes after she was born. And then three and a half months later, I found that I was three and a half months pregnant. <laughs> so they are eight months apart. Wow. So I went from b being this footloose, fancy free musician doing literally and going wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted to then being a stay at home mom with two young kids. And it was a very difficult transition yeah. for me. And lonely. Very lonely, very isolating. And because it was something I wanted so badly, I really felt like there was no space for me to have discomfort around, you know, having some postpartum and having depression being so isolated um, at home with my two kids. I felt like that conversation wasn't open for me because I had wanted it so badly. And here I was, I wished and prayed for something and I got it. And now I'm going to complain about it. Like, <laughs> who are you? You know, I really felt like that, which is not the right way to feel. And so I, at that point, I really, you know, I bought into like, oh, well, I deserve this glass of wine at the end of the day, or right. two glasses of wine or three glasses of wine because, oh, it, this is so hard, but it just made everything so much harder. It was like going up this big yeah. mountain. There for is that me moment, personally. though, where it seeps into your body and you feel yes. warm. Yes. And you feel like, oh, can let my shoulders go. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And there are other ways to of do course, that. Of course. Of course. You know, and the ways for me that I do that is it's so much easier for me to get to that point because I don't have this baggage on my back. All right. So you reorient yourself spiritually, yeah. you listen to your gut. Mm -hmm. How does your music change? You know what the funniest thing is? My, the music, the next music that I will write and produce is going to be so joyful. Ah. Because the last record I put out was very much a story. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to make a storytelling record. And for me, the most interesting, complex stories aren't the ones, oh, I woke up happy and now I'm yeah, happy listen, all day. I've listened to the album and there's stuff in there that's, you know, about... It's not working out. I'm not a yeah. happy. Uh, yeah, it's and and love hurts. Yeah, and and a lot of stories from you know other people too. Yeah, just being that medium as the storyteller for other right. people's stories. But now it's it's I can't wait to make a bit more joyful, upbeat, 
rock and music, I kind of like, okay, I got that out of my system and right. I really wanted to do it and it was great. And now and I'm for on, a people pleaser, that took, that took yes, cuts, right? It did. Like, it's like, this, this isn't going to make you go. I yeah. love that third yeah. song. It was so fun. You know, it's yeah, just like, oh, wow, that's such a sad story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we I, I did one of these episodes with a friend of mine who's a comic, John Wing Jr., and he is a lapsed Catholic. Yeah. And at one point we talked about, because he had addiction issues as well that he talks about, and he did say enough stuff for me to go, you know, if you'd had, because con- I asked him about confession. Yes. Because Jews don't do confession. Yes. Right, they they do psychotherapy. They don't do yes. confession, yeah. uh, and the clergy have st- a lot of people have stopped looking to clergy for pastoral care for yeah. for real social psychological care. Uh, and as I said, you know, it occurs to me that you actually would have really benefited from confession when you mm. were going to. And he said, you know, I think I would have. I mean, I wonder about that with with the Catholic tradition because now we go to a therapist, but. Yes. It was supposed to be a sacred relationship yes. that you could do that, w- and, and and I that's what I mourn for. Right, I mourn I mourn that loss because now it's like write your deepest darkest secret on a piece of paper, burn it, and throw it into the water. It's like no, just go to your damn priest and tell him what you did, y'all. It's it's that release, uh, you know. Could you do it? Could you actually see yourself going into a confessional booth? Um, and and like you, I do that with my therapist. Right. But you you wouldn't go to a clergy. Um, I'm not trying to get you to. No, do no, it. no, I'm no, asking. no, no, no. I'm. I haven't thought about it. I haven't thought about it. I mean, I. I mean, you'd have I, to jump over a lot of stuff to get in that uh, door, Look, you? It, when even though I'm, you know, a lapsed Catholic, when my husband and I got married 13 years ago, uh, my dad's best friend, who is a priest in Florida, I tried to get him to come up and do the wedding. do our do our service, right? And he wasn't allowed. You know, like the Catholics, right. you have to get special dispensation from the bishop or something to do, because it, it was in the Enoch, Enoch Turner Schoolhouse. It was the oh, oldest yeah. schoolhouse in Toronto, but yeah. it wasn't a church. Right. So they weren't, it's like, well, if, when you get, it's, it's kind of like, I want to be taking a taxi, not the Ubers. Right. But it's like, when you guys get your app happening, I'll go back to taxis. Right. Like, get, get up to speed with the rest of the world here. This is the way the rest yeah. of the world is happening. If the Catholic Church, you know, the Pope made a really good step by slapping that woman's hand a couple of weeks ago. I was like, you go, Pope. I don't know if you saw it. It was amazing. <laughs> this woman. In Why did you love that? Well, because it's like, it's that's real. Right. That's human. He had a human reaction to being assaulted. Yeah, yeah being assaulted. You know, he, yeah. he was, a, if somebody did that to me, they'd be getting a smack. Yeah. You know, it's like, he didn't care about what everybody thought. He, he easily could have thought. There are a million video cameras here. This is going to go around the world. I'm going to react in a way that looks good. He was he had his natural instinct was to sh- slap that woman's hand away. So it's like, okay, you're in, you're in contact with what's really guiding you here. That's yeah. yeah. As as a a person of the Latin persuasion in terms of being sp- Spanishly oriented mm-hmm. myself. Uh, I realized that's pretty well the way it rolls. I mean, yeah. you grab my hand, I'm like, hey, get off yeah. me. What are you, nuts? Absolutely. Yeah. it's He's a very interesting man. But, you know, mm-hmm. the other part of a, a, a an Orthodox faith, you know, Russian Orthodox, mm-hmm. uh, Catholic, uh, High Anglican, uh, Orthodox Jew, Orthodox Muslim, all of it, is the belief is we're not going to bend to you. Mm-hmm you're going to have to come to this Mm -hmm. and we can't keep changing it every 20 years because there's something new happening. Mm -hmm. And yet the part I work in in the Jewish renewal movement, for instance, everything's up for grabs Mm -hmm. uh, because you really are trying to find a way to, to do something different, which Mm -hmm. is not have an us and them, but have a unity of everything. Community. Right. And unity of everything in the world, unity of everything in you, you know, in the idea that God is, for instance, only good. I've heard that in Christian theology a fair bit. God is good. Mm. And I think, no, no. If no. God is everything, which would yes. also mean deep evil, mm-hmm. right? Because that's part of the human uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. And the stories are just there to trigger you to look at these things in yourself. So let me ask you, without in any way wishing this to be a, a reality uh when your grandmother passes yeah. and your kids, your little kids say mm-hmm. to you, where'd she go? Mm-hmm. What are you going to tell them? Oh, I, you know, well, 
it's it's interesting for me now because my husband's mother passed from cancer a couple of years ago and she was very close to us, called her Oma. And I'm also somebody who believes that, I mean, I can feel her presence, literally. I can feel her presence. I know she's around. She gives me signs. I also believe that that there is, that, you know, that we're not that disconnected from the other realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, you know, we say, you know, Oma's passed away. She's up in heaven, but she's still with us. And I encourage the kids to kind of look for her in signs, you know, that, so it's a bit unorthodox. So, but. No, no, not in the least. There's lots of people who have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's, if they say, did you go to heaven? Mm-hmm. What do you say? Oh, I would say yes. I mean, everyone's going to heaven. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm not going to be, I'm not, you know, you're, you're going to have to. Free pass. You know. Why would you say everyone's going to heaven? What about somebody who's just patently horrific? Um. Like is Adolf Hitler in in heaven? Uh, you, it, there's somewhere else. Like heaven for me is not you know oh that's the gates of heaven. I I don't think it's it's I think it's another place where people can continue their soul duties mm. that they're not finished. But I'm also right. somebody who you know that they need to work that stuff out. And and something that I have heard is you know people who get to the other side are not wishing evil or anything on those of us who remain in the land of the living it's they're still working out they're still going to be doing what they're doing and helping you know the people in this immortal coil until their soul work is done and then they kind of graduate so that's eastern in its outlook yes um karmic karmic journeys and reincarnation and the soul work yeah it's interesting in judaism there's a heaven and hell are not uh, uh, places outside mm-hmm. of oneself mm-hmm. you you are have heaven and you, mm-hmm. you have your own heaven and your own mm-hmm. hell you're working mm-hmm. on beautiful them. yeah so it's it, it's it's afterlife is one of those things where there is an assumption the soul is eternal mm-hmm. and the body uh, in in islam and in judaism the body is disposed of as quickly as possible mm-hmm. 24 hours mm-hmm. after the death mm-hmm. you don't um you don't embalm mm-hmm. you don't uh, mm-hmm have visitations you don't wait a week mm-hmm. you because the body is just as ramdas said it's just a spacesuit yes. you know with a name on mm-hmm. it you know davnat doyle's mm-hmm. a spacesuit now mm-hmm. it's finished mm-hmm. and i know when my own father passed away when i looked at him i thought he's not there anymore mm-hmm. whoever mm-hmm. he is as as, mm-hmm. as this man that's gone you can see it in the milky eyes mm-hmm. it's finished it's mm-hmm. over this was just the vessel mm-hmm. and yet it's so hard for us to believe that on mm-hmm. a daily basis yes right yeah it's it crazy. We're. I want. I want to play one of your songs as we oh, okay. say goodbye. Uh, I want to figure out what one you'd really, after mm. our conversation, yeah. would fit well. Do you want one that's depressing and upbeat, or depressing and downbeat? <laughs> I mean, it really—it's your call. That's like Jackson Brown. Yeah. He, he says that in his live live album. It's just you know, do I. Uh, do the really sentimental, moody, depressed one or the really downbeat, moody, depressed one? <laughs> uh, let's do a song called uh, That's What You Get because it really is about, What's it ties about? into, you know, what I was speaking about earlier about being a reformed people pleaser. You know, um, it really is important to advocate for yourself and, and to figure out what it, I say this to my girls all the time, I don't care what your friends want. I don't care that your friends aren't watching that television show anymore or not playing with those dolls. What do you want? And it, it ta- especially my younger girl who's a lot like me has those people pleasing tendencies. You know, it's like I we're going to take some time with this. I I you know, we're going to take some time before you answer me because it's so important. You're so it's so ingrained in you, especially the girls, to just go along with the flow and and. So it took me a really long time to break out of that mold, but I'm prepping my kids a bit earlier to figure out who they are, what they what they like. And so that this song is really about if you ask for nothing, that's what you're gonna get. And what's the name of the album? Uh the name of the album is called Liquor Store Flowers. 
And that's what you get, right? That's what you get. Well, Davinat, an absolute pleasure. I loved this today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure, and uh, I hope we get to talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Take care.
this podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.